before I get to my message, I have I have a pre-message. So I have a pre-sermon sermonette. Um, so so I, I'll normally I pray to begin like the sermon, and I'm not going to do that yet because this isn't my sermon. This is my pre-sermon. So I'm not going to pray. I'm going to pray later. So uh, if you want to pull up Second Timothy three fourteen and fifteen, uh, Kara uh, included this in her message two weeks ago, where she preached the whole chapter of chapter three. Um, but I just want to read that and expound on a couple things with that. So I'm reading from the uh, New American Standard. It says you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. First of all, I, I dig that. That is so cool. Knowledge, which leads to wisdom, which leads to faith in Jesus Christ, which makes us convinced. Um, you know, when we when we hear the word, when we study the word, there's knowledge that comes forth there, but it's not just knowledge. It's not just information. It's not just words on a page and retaining that. Therefore, it's knowledge. It leads to godly wisdom. It leads to wisdom, which points us to Jesus Christ. And when we are um, full of his wisdom and full of his word, this passage shows us that we are convinced. That we become convinced. Convinced of who he is. Convinced of Jesus Christ and his love for us and his plan for us. See, it's not enough that we just suppose. But we are to be convinced. He has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. God turns all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We're not, we're not promised a rose garden without thorns. We're promised the beauty of the roses, but there's going to be the pain of the thorns that come with it as well. So the end result of us spending time with him is being convinced. I also want to point something out here. Uh, Paul is trying to encourage Timothy to continue the things that he, Paul, had taught Timothy. But Paul praises the godly heritage that Timothy was blessed with. So Paul says, hey, continue in the things that you have learned from me, but also the things you learned from childhood on. So Paul wasn't there in Timothy's life when he was a child. So who did Timothy get instruction from? It's the, the answer was it's in there. It's not a, this isn't a trick question. Either. I drive this point home. Everyone knows what the answer is, right? Someone shouted out. Who did Timothy get this knowledge from? His mom and grandma. I was about to close in prayer. I was about to close in prayer and we're going to go eat dinner. If you didn't, his mom and his grandma. Okay, his mother and his grandma, um, Lois and Eunice. What Timothy was taught was the sacred writings, the, the, the Old Testament. And what does it say took place through that learning of the Old Testament, of the sacred writings? It led to wisdom, which led him to faith in Jesus Christ. I can't stress the importance enough, the importance of the role of a parent in pointing our kids to Jesus. Parents, whether you like it or not, you are a teacher. You are a model. You are modeling Jesus Christ to your, to your children. 
You are modeling values to your children. You're, you're modeling integrity and honor to your children. That's a tremendous role, a tremendous responsibility, but a tremendous opportunity. So let's embrace that as teachers and let's, let's raise our kids in the Word. Let's find a cool uh, Bible storybook and read to our kids and let the Word... I mean, the Holy Spirit will do His job. The Word will come alive and, and stoke the imagination and stoke the passion. But let's read Scripture to our kids. So in, in these pastoral letters, Paul makes mention of Timothy's mother and his grandmother and he praises them for their faith. He praises them for, for leading Timothy and being responsible for forging his faith. And they played an awesome role in his faith. And that might not be a big deal to you and I. You know, thinking, well, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you know, mothers, grandmothers, they teach. But the fact that Paul is, is paying honor to these women for their role in teaching uh, a, a, young, a young boy scripture it's a radical thing because jewish women were not taught scripture i mean we all went to school we all went grade school middle school high school you know an education is our rite of passage here and we all get it you know we fight for the rights of kids to to be educated well back in this day women weren't given the education in scripture that men were given so for a woman to teach scripture is absolutely radical because they weren't taught scripture so how can they teach something they don't know but both of these women found Jesus. Both of these women experienced, you got to figure this is, when this was written, this is 60 years after Jesus had ascended. So these women, they heard about Jesus. They put their trust in Jesus. And then they took the tools that were available to them, the Old Testament, which points to Jesus, which prophesies of Jesus. The Old Testament's awesome. And so they taught Timothy the Old Testament. They taught him scripture. And it's, it's a radical thing that Paul is is praising them with. Uh, I want to give you a little nugget. I always, for a while, I was kind of confused over, you know, who the mother was and who the, the grandmother was. And, you know, it's Lois and it's Eunice. So, um, and once again, this is totally exposing my goofiness, but that's all right. So this is, this is how I remember their names. Which one is the mom? Eunice, Lois, which one it is? So Eunice, but you got to say it like this. You got to say Eunice. So Eunice, Oh, you say, oh, you nice and young, so you you the mom. <laughs> so you nice and young, you the mom. And then Lois, you go, Lois, you old. You the grandma. Which, which I'm not saying every grandma in here is old, because I know for a fact I'm older than one grandpa in this room. So grandmas, I'm not trying to, you know, talk bad about grandmas. But Lois is old. Eunice, you nice and young. So that that's how I remember that. So, every little bit helps, huh? Just keep this in mind. Timothy became a Christian not because of an evangelist. Timothy became a Christian not because of a pastor. Timothy became a Christian not because of the work of Paul. Timothy placed his trust in Jesus Christ because he was raised by a godly mother and a godly grandmother who poured into his life. So let's take that seriously. It's, it, parents, grandparents, it's, let's not leave that job up to someone else. Let's be the ones to point our kids to Jesus and to our perfect loving Father. Amen.
Amen. In, in talking about Paul's praising of these women for teaching, um, it you know I, I want to want to kind of circle back. You know, you might be asking, what about First Timothy chapter eleven and twelve? Ah, yes, First Timothy chapter eleven and twelve, my old nemesis. You know, we're going to read First Timothy eleven and twelve, and and I'm going to talk about it just for a second because it's important. So verse 11, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Dun, dun, dun. Simply put, and I'm not trying to be critical, but I'm just being completely honest. Simply put, this passage is poorly translated. This passage is poorly studied. And this passage is consequently even more poorly taught. Now, I am not a Greek scholar. You know, I, I like to study. I consider myself a scholarly man, but I'm not a Greek scholar. But I am capable of reading Greek scholars. So I read this and I want to share it with you talking about the way that language is put together in, in the Greek language and verbs and consonants and nouns and sentence composition. The present tense in Greek principally denotes continuous present action. It can refer to present necessity and obligation and to potential action. I know it's riveting, right? I mean, that's, that's good stuff. Wait, it gets better though. So Greek has its own imperative mood which in this passage is not employed. Commands can also be phrased in the aorist or the future indicative. Neither of these tenses is used either. Nor does Paul use the, pre the perfect tense to denote an action in the past which has changed the state of affairs. Paul is saying, I am not presently allowing a woman to teach. When you look at the Greek and you look in a second, we're going to read the way that the words appear in the Greek. And we're going to read them in order. But that's what Paul's saying is, I am not presently, at this time, I'm not allowing women to teach. Why would he say that? Why would he, why would he make that statement? Why is it important to, to make that note? Because during this time, there is a ton of false teaching. There's a ton of dissension. The church is in complete disarray. You have Timothy, this young pastor, and Paul's going, hey, I'm giving you instruction and, you know, Share this letter with the church. You know, share this. You know, it's coming from me. Share this with the church. And so he is, Paul is laying down the hammer. He's saying, okay, let's stop, you know, the false teaching. He even nails a couple guys early on. He's like, those two guys, gone. Don't associate with them. I've tried to talk to them. I've tried to correct them. They're spreading false teaching and they refuse to repent and turn. So boom, I, I kick their butts out. It's a drastic measure. I want to make something totally clear, church. That's not something we do frequently. I'm 43 years old, and I, I mean, I've rarely seen people kicked out of the church. And the times I have seen it done, I'm just going to be honest, it's done wrong. Um, but, you know, Paul's talking about a drastic, drastic measure here. So he's trying to establish order. So part of the false teaching and confusion was coming was these women were getting excited and passionate for God, learning about Jesus, but they had nothing to teach. So they're disrupting meetings and they're throwing hands up. And what about this? What about this? And it caused a lot of confusion and disruption. So Paul's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
You can learn. Even Paul saying, I want a woman to learn quietly and submissively. And we're going to read the, the translation of what I believe that means, you know, uh, just a little bit more fine-tuned. Even that's a radical thought. Because he's saying, women, I want you to learn. I want you to learn. But quit interrupting the meetings. You know, that's not the time to do it. Men, get off your butts and teach your wives. Go home and teach them because they're hungry. That's the message that's coming across. And this is just a reminder, this is my pre-message message. Paul uses the Greek verb form that indicates present action, not a command verb form. But if you're like me, reading this passage since I was a boy, I was raised in the church, I saw this as a command. That is not the verb uh, tense or form that's being used. For the present, he is not allowing these women of Ephesus to teach. Paul does not command, if we can bring that passage up, he doesn't command the women not to teach. He employs the present indicative active, verse 12. And he says, I am not allowing. There's a big difference, guys. There's a big difference in saying, I command you not to do this and going, I'm not allowing. So if you lay out the Greek words in written order, here is how it reads. A wife in peacefulness, I let learn in all obedience, not causing angry disputes. But to teach a wife, I am not allowing. So for a woman to teach, I am not allowing. That's the present indicative tense. He is not presently allowing a woman or a wife to teach, not even to dominate a husband, but to be in peacefulness. Well, that's great, Mark. That's great that you can just craft these translations to to fit what you wanted to say because you clearly are pro-women. you know. And, and I am pro-women. I'm pro-people. I mean, and, and the good news is Jesus is too. Um, but, you know, I was looking and, and I found a translation of the Bible. It's called the International Standard Version. Uh, it was originally, uh, the first version came out in 1998. Um, it's been referred to as the King James of our time. Um, scholars just came back together and over issues like this, they're like, Things just aren't being taken into consideration in translating this. So they, they came up with another translation that just has a special emphasis on, on accuracy. Um, and then it came out with a second version because there are a couple typos. I, I don't know who did spell check on it. So now there's version two that's out there. So I want to read this passage from, uh, from the International Standard Version. And this is the closest thing I can see to the original Greek of what this passage is saying. Let a woman learn with a quiet spirit and submissively. Moreover, in the area of teaching, I am not allowing a woman to instigate conflict toward a man. Instead, she has to remain calm. This makes sense with what's going on in Ephesus. This makes sense with what's going on in the church. With the turmoil and the confusion and the way that the service had been disrupted. This makes sense. You know what doesn't make sense? Is Paul knowingly, willingly, and blatantly contradicting Jesus Christ and himself. And if the passage we read out of verse 11 and 12 says, I do not allow women to teach, then Paul is contradicting Jesus, who gave women place in ministry, and he is contradicting himself, who praises these two women. In, in the last book he ever wrote, the last letter he 
ever wrote praising these two women for doing something radical in teaching this young Hebrew boy. So that's what doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. The, the, the version that we've been taught, and you know, we're flawed. We are flawed people. And I don't want to assign ill motives, but it's really hard not to look at this passage and look at our history of being taught and say, there were some insecure men behind the translation and teaching of this. Let me ask you this. Men, I, I'm only addressing you right now. If you were here two weeks ago when Kara preached, how many of you felt emasculated by a woman being up here pointing you to Jesus, breaking down the good news of Jesus Christ, encouraging you with the truth of Jesus Christ? How many of you guys, that was a hit against your manhood? Raise your hand. We have a spotlight? I, I dare you. How many of you guys, that was emasculating? I mean, honestly, not me. She pointed us to Jesus. How many of you guys felt like it was disrespectful? Like you were being disrespected because she stood up here and with thoughtful preparation and anointing from the Holy Spirit shared the good news of Jesus Christ. How many of you guys felt like that was disrespectful, inappropriate, and out of order? Raise your hand. If you raise your hand, Ron is going to hit you. You guys, that doesn't make any sense to me. I, I, I have to camp on this because, once again, we're going over this letter. This is the last letter Paul ever wrote. He is in prison. He, he knows he's dying. He knows, I mean, we'll see as we, close, as we close this out. Paul is urgent. And he's saying the things that are most important to him. And if, if I truly believe, if Paul truly felt that it was a command not to allow a woman to teach, he would have reiterated it in this letter instead of contradicting himself and going, Timothy, you, you followed my instruction. Well done, young man. But not just that. You know, the, you know the good news that you were equipped with from the time that you were a child on. You, you can trust where you got it from. How radical is that? You can trust where you got it from. Your mother and your grandmother. So I, I, I need to drive this home because um, I, I've been... I've had phone calls from people. They're like, hey, I read your website and you know, it says you know, uh, lead pastor is Mark and Kara Harper. So um, does, uh, does your wife preach? I'm like, yes, she does. Yeah. Let me point you to a couple of messages on the website. It's quite obvious she preaches. So you're not really asking if she preaches, are you? You want to argue with me. Well, what about 1 Timothy 11 and 12? Well, I can, I can explain that to you if you want, but if you want to argue, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'll, I'll let you know what I believe the Bible says. And we'll use proper tense, but I'm not, going to, I'm not going to fight and argue over it. And of course, they always want to fight and argue, so they're short conversations, which is a good thing. Paul is who he is. Or I'm sorry, Timothy is who he is. Because he was taught by women. So I just want to to encourage us um, as we study Scripture, you know, and even as I study this. I, this is the honest truth. In three years of of leading this church, there's no single topic I've studied more diligently, faithfully, and directly than this passage. There is not. There's not another topic I've studied 
this hard because it always troubled me as a kid because I knew who Jesus was and I saw the way that he honored and respected women. I saw the way that he threw the status quo of the religious leaders of the day and the ways they wanted to accuse the woman but not the man. And I saw the example of Jesus Christ but yet I heard men stood up there and and quote this wrong. And I'm like, that contradicts itself. So I studied the heck out of this thing and I'm convinced this is what it means. Paul's convinced this is what it means. But you know what? This passage I read, that's not my proof. That international standard version is not my proof. You know what my proof is? Jesus Christ is my proof. The way that Jesus promoted women is my proof. The way that the Samaritan woman at the well, that he prophesied over her and then sent her forth as an evangelist to go and bring the whole town in, that's my proof. The ways that the message of his resurrection was entrusted with women at the tomb. Don't know what the men were doing. That's all right. You know, they're, they're crying, mourning, doing whatever. The women were there, though. Thank God. Yeah, they're probably hiding under the guise of weeping and mourning. But it was the women who then he trusted with that message. Go tell them. I am alive. Go tell them to meet me here. Meet me in Galilee. Gave them direction and trusted the women with direction. So, well, woman, I guess she can teach, but she can teach women. She can teach women. Let me correct myself. Women can teach women because I'm not threatened by that. And they can teach children. And she can teach the feeble-minded. But not, I mean, that's ridiculous, right? That's honestly ridiculous. Women, women folk. You cannot cause trouble in the church. But you can preach. And you can teach. And not just women and children. You can teach men too. You can lead home groups. You can teach new believers class. You can teach old, really ridiculously old believers class. You can teach everything in between. Because Jesus has empowered you to do so. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray so I can preach. (laughs) Lord, we thank you uh, for this night. Lord, we thank you for being uh, gathered together. And Lord Jesus, we truly do set our eyes on you. We set our sights on you. We set our hearts towards you to hear from and to grow in you. Lord, as an act of my will, Lord, I, I yield to you. And Lord, you know my heart more than anything. I want you to have your way. I want your word to be heard, not mine. So Holy Spirit, do that awesome thing you do when you personalize this message to each one of us where it feels like we're the ones being preached to and sometimes being preached at. But use it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going we're gonna to read um, the end of 2 Timothy 3 and we're going to read the beginning of 2 Timothy 4. And I want us to keep something in mind here and, and we're just going to have those scriptures and I'm going to go ahead and be honest. My sermon is shorter than my mini-sermon, you know, but it is what it is. Um, so we're going to read those and we're going to read them together. We're not going to stop. We're going to read the end of chapter 3. We're going to read the beginning of chapter 4. And I want to encourage us with this. Um, as we're studying, and you're, it's been in time of the words, unless it's the last chapter of a book, the last chapter of the book of First Timothy or Second Timothy or Titus, or unless it's the last chapter, when you're studying, 
and, and you read the end of a chapter, don't stop there. Always read the beginning of the next chapter just to see if there's kind of a flow of thought, of heart, of expression, of message. Read the beginning of the next chapter. There's nothing. Okay, good. You know, I'll pick it back the beginning of that chapter next time and close it. But so many times when we stop at the end of a chapter, we miss the flow that they were on because it was, you know, the Bible wasn't originally in chapter like like that. It was letters and it wasn't broken down into chapters, but men needed a way to index it. So they said, okay, this is chapter one from here to here. And this is chapter two from here to here. And this is chapter three. So that's okay. But I just want to encourage you guys, when we're studying the word, um, you know, read the beginning of the next chapter before you stop just to see if there's a flow. So I got to read this. This is an unbelievable, unbelievable flow reading these together. So let's let's look at this and read this. So 2 Timothy 3, 14. And it'll carry us through 17, which is the end of the chapter. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate or complete, equipped for every good work. Beginning of chapter 4. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. I mean, I, I, this is one of those where I am literally boggled that whoever segmented out ended chapter 3 where they did and didn't include this. I mean, talk about not just parallel themes, but the exact same words. I, I truly believe that these are to be read together. So we see several things by reading these verses together as one thought, by reading these together as one message. If we can keep that that up. Um, actually, let's go. Let's go back to the passage. Um, oh, verse, verse sixteen. We see that all Scripture is able to provide us with the wisdom that leads us to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. If I can stop right there, this is why we spend time in the Word. We don't spend time in the Word for knowledge's sake. We don't spend time in the Word for penance. Uh, it's not a measure of how good of a Christian we are, how much time we spend in the Word. It, it's, it's, not, it's not for knowledge and it's not to, to prove ourselves and to make sacrifice to the Lord. In fact, I used to think that when I was a kid. I'm like, Lord, I'm going to make a sacrifice now and I'm going to read a chapter of your Word. <laughs> and I'd read and I was bored silly. And I thought, I'm such a good Christian. I'm making a sacrifice. And I was ignorant and dumb because I love the Word of God. The Word of God comes alive. It ain't no sacrifice. Folks, if it's a sacrifice, then then just let me encourage you. It's not a sacrifice. I mean, it's the Word. It's life. It's not a sacrifice to spend time with my wife. That's not a sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice to spend time with, with my brother, my mom, my brother, my friends. It's not a sacrifice. And it's certainly not a sacrifice to spend time in the Word of God. We see that it 
provides us with wisdom that leads us to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. We see that all Scripture is inspired by God and all Scripture is profitable for these things. All Scripture is profitable for teaching. What's what's profitable for teaching? Scripture. You guys are awesome. You're right there. It's profitable for teaching. It's profitable for reproof. It's profitable for correction. It's profitable for training in righteousness so that the people of God may be complete. It says adequate, but that word is translated as complete. Even perfect. It's, it's translated as complete and perfect. You know, it's so that we can be whole, equipped for every good work. We see that the scripture is there so that we can be equipped for every good work. Then we go on to the chapter 4. In the presence of the Father and in the presence of Jesus, Paul charges. He goes, I charge you to preach the word, to be ready in season and out, to reprove, to rebuke and exhort, and to do all these things with great patience and instruction. So let's, let's pull up that chart. So this is just that little parallel study of the end of Second Timothy 3 and the, the beginning of Second Timothy 4. Teach and preach. Same thing. Reproof and reprove. That one has an F. And this one has a VE. Same things. Correct and rebuke and exhort. Rebuking and exhorting is correction. For training with patient instruction. Once again, instruction is a part of training. church, it's the knowing. It's the heartfelt experiencing and knowing of Jesus Christ that Timothy had and that Paul acknowledged. While growing from a child to a man, Timothy also grew in knowledge of God's scripture, which led to wisdom. Wisdom being a greater understanding of God. Wisdom isn't how to solve the Rubik's Cube. Wisdom is a greater understanding of God. A greater understanding of His heart. A greater understanding of His ways. A greater understanding of Him. The Bible says if we lack wisdom, we can ask, believing, being convinced that He will give it to us. And He will give it to us. I pray it all the time. Lord, I just lack wisdom in how to how to handle this. So Lord, I just receive it right now. I ask you for it and I know that you give it. So Lord, give me this greater understanding of you and how you would handle this. That is wisdom. It's the truth of Scripture that teaches. It's the truth of Scripture that teaches, that reproves, that corrects and trains I want to make something clear. It's not us that does it. It's the truth of Scripture that does it. It's not me that corrects, rebukes, reproves, teaches. It's not. It's the Word of God. That's why I stand up here every week and whoever is preaching whether it's someone here in this house or someone that we're in relationship, when they come and they preach the Word of God, we don't preach philosophy, we don't preach opinion, we don't preach anecdotes, we don't preach witty axioms and stories. 
I'm just I'm grasping for other words now. Sonnets? I don't know. <laughs> what's what's the Japanese thing where they haikus? We have to know dang I don't even know what a haiku is. We preach scripture. We can do none of these things effectively if we don't know and haven't become convinced of God's word and his truth. I can do none of those things effectively if I'm not convinced that it's true. My friends, we can't do any of this effectively or consistently, faithfully, if we're not convinced of who he is and that he is truth. And let there be no mistake, this world needs teachers because this world needs truth. Not the truth, but the truth. I mean, what's what's the truth? Um, I'm pounds overweight. That's that's the truth. I acknowledge that's the truth. I don't need the truth. What I need is the truth. It's not it's not about the petty things that we need to apply to our lives. We need to know the one who is true. Next verse in 2 Timothy 4. We're going to read 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. And they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. This right here tells why we need teachers right now. This this right here tells why we need teachers to proclaim truth, who are convinced of the truth and who will teach and reprove and correct and rebuke and will do all these things in love. Because, my friends, our window is getting smaller. We got a window. And it is getting smaller. There's a time when men will listen to truth. And there will come a time when they will not. That's the truth, guys. That is truth. That's not fairy tale. That's truth. And my friends, the window the window was here. We're here now. Okay, the window is not... I mean, the window is closing on us. People are rejecting truth. They're rejecting Jesus. My friends, let's do our part in presenting... Jesus in a way that accurately represents who he is. That he's loving and powerful. How often do we preach the power of God? The power to change lives, to set you free, to heal you from your past, to forgive your sins no matter how dark it was. And to empower you to walk in new life. I... I do believe some people don't I do I do believe that people still want to hear the truth that most people still want to hear the truth I I believe there are those who are like I don't want to hear that I'm content with what I have I'm content with what I believe I'm willing to go down I'm willing to die believing what I believe and I don't want 
I don't want what you have to offer. There are those. But I believe for the most part, people do want to hear the truth. Even if it makes them uncomfortable. Even if it stings a little. You guys know me. And so this is not a surprise. I'm perfectly fine with someone, with my words and my actions making someone uncomfortable and stinging as long as they know my heart that I love them and that God loves them. I'm okay with them being comfortable because if I'm from a mean, harsh way, then the last words they're going to hear are the words that made them uncomfortable or that, that will make them sting. But if I'm speaking with my father's heart, then I think they'll they'll squirm in their seat a little, but they'll listen. They'll because they they know I'm not done. They know there's a okay, but what? But he loves you. But he's good. But every day you can wake up new to his mercies and his grace. When we present the truth to hurting people, we must do so in love. And let me be clear, not just our love, but his love. I want to close with this passage from Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read uh, 11 through 16. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Folks, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Has this world attained unity of faith? Do we all have knowledge of the Son of God? Are we spiritually mature men and women? I mean, some of us ain't even maturely mature men and women. I mean, much less, much less spiritually. If the answer is no, which we all agree it is, it sounds like, then we still need the gifts of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. For people, and, and I pause in this just to let you know, if people are like, oh, we don't need that. That's not for today. We don't, we don't need the apostles. We don't need the prophets. We don't need, we don't need all those things. That manifestation has passed. You can go, well, it says they're all needed until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure. And that hadn't happened. So my friend, we still need these gifts. So know this passage and use this passage when people say that we no longer need the gifts of the fivefold ministry. Verse 14. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. 
in order for us to grow from immaturity to a woman of God, to a man of God. We must grow in God. We must grow in God. Not in good works. Not in extravagant giving. Not in faithful attendance. We must grow in God. I'm convinced of this. When we grow in God, the end result, some of the fruits of that are our faithful attendance, our extravagant giving, our good works. That's, that's the end result. But we don't do that to find God's pleasure. We grow in Him. We become ridiculously aware and convinced that we have His pleasure, that we walk in His pleasure, that we are His pleasure. You are His pleasure. You are His pleasure. My friends, that's what we need to be convinced of is that you are His pleasure. I am His pleasure. And we grow in Him. And we're no longer swayed and bounced back and forth by the waves of circumstance, of life, of false teaching, of trends. We must grow in passion, knowledge, and wisdom of His Scripture. And we must gain a greater understanding of and relationship with Him. Let's remember, it's not us that teaches. It's not us that reproves. It's not us that corrects and trains. It's God's Word. But He needs a vessel for it to flow through. He needs teachers. He needs people who will be that mouthpiece of His correction, teaching, instruction, encouragement. And we, in and of our own love, in and of our own experience, in and of our own knowledge, it's not enough. We can't do it. We, in and of those things, can't heal and equip a broke world, a broken world or a broken people or a broken heart. But God's truth can. God's truth can. God's truth can heal. God's truth can equip. God's truth can set us free. Are we convinced of this? Are we? Are we convinced of this? That His truth can heal. Are we? Are we convinced that His truth can set people free? Are we convinced of His love, His life, and His power? If we are, then let's live our lives like we're convinced. Let's live our lives like we're convinced of this. Let's live our lives demonstrating ain't no doubt. Now, I don't have everything lined up, but I have no doubt in my heart. He's real. I, I don't have the scripture memorized. Never read through the, you know, all the Bible. I've only, you know, read, you know, parts. Man, I'm, I'm young in the faith. That doesn't matter. I'm convinced. I know who he is. I know what he's done in my life. I know who I am because of him. 
Let's live our lives like we're convinced. This world needs teacher. It needs teachers, but more than that, this world needs truth. Let's live convinced. And others will be convinced. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for what happens when we spend time in your word. And Lord, tonight we have spent time in your word. We have spent time in your presence and we have spent time in your word. And Lord, we thank you that there's a knowledge that leads to wisdom, that leads to salvation and faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we believe you and we believe that you are true, that your words are true. And that we are true in you because we have given our lives away and found ourselves in you. We know that we're not fakes. We're not phonies because we look to you and you are truth. So we have truth living in us. Lord, you know us. You know that we are flawed, Lord God. You know that there's parts of us that are just jacked up, Lord. And that we have sin and that we're just, Lord, we're flawed. You know this. But Lord, I thank you that we are your good pleasure. You love us. And Lord, every time we run to you, it pleases you. Because you're the perfect father. Lord, there's those of us in this room that are fathers and mothers, and we are flawed. We're imperfect mothers and fathers. And so when our kids run to us, when they've blown it, Lord, uh, there's times we handle it wrong. But Father, we thank you that you never handle it wrong when we run to you. You always have your arms open to us. You always have life that you speak to us. You always have love in your eyes and acceptance. And you always embrace us. So Lord, let us be quick to share that truth with others. Lord, I don't got to have the, the most knowledge in the world to be able to share that truth. Lord, I do ask that you would just stir within us, Lord, a passion and a desire to spend time in your word, Lord God. Lord, it's not a sacrifice, Lord. We're not paying penance by being in your word, Lord. We get to be with you. So, Lord, let us just truly find pleasure in spending time in your word. Let your word come alive to us, Lord. Speak to us through your word, Lord. Speak words that are not contained on those pages, but that are straight from your heart. And Lord, let us live a life convinced. And let it be our lives that convince others, not our persuasive skills or words, but let it be our lives, Lord God, that convince others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If we can do something for a second, if everyone can just bow their, their eyes just for two more minutes. But don't don't fade on me. I'm wrapping this up. Please stay locked into what I'm saying. I want to give an opportunity 
If there's someone here who's never placed their trust in Jesus Christ, I want to give that opportunity. The Bible says if you believe in your heart that he is Lord, that he conquered death, paid the price for your sin and lives today. If you believe in your heart that he is Lord and confess with your mouth, then you'll be saved. With all eyes closed, if you're here today and you've never, maybe you've never made that declaration, but but in your heart you believe. You're like, I believe that. I believe he's real. I'm convinced of that. I, I, I don't have all the facts, but I believe that. That he's real, that he loves me, that he has a plan for me, that he's alive. And I want to make him Lord of my life. If that's you, I'm not going to point you out, but I do want you to just raise your hand so that there's action behind your, your saying yes to the Lord. Just where you are, just raise your hand and say, yeah, I want to give my life to the Lord. I believe in him. Thank you, Lord. I see that hand. Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else that wants to say yes to him today? was to acknowledge, I believe. Lord, I thank you for your love. And Lord, I thank you um, for, for this, Lord, for this young woman, Lord, and her decision right now to declare, I am yours. I believe and I give you my life. I make you Lord of my life. Lord, I give you praise, Lord God. You are so good. You are so good, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would just change each one of us in this room. Lord, transform us so that we look more like you, so that we sound more like you, so that we act more like you, Lord God, and that we reflect your Father's heart of love. I just speak blessing over everybody here. Lord, every individual, every young person, Lord, every old person, Lord, over every single, over every married couple, over every marriage and family that's here. Lord, I just proclaim your blessing and your strength. And I ask, Lord God, you just to pour out your your life-changing power over us, Lord God. Where we have struggles, Lord, be our victory. Where we have lack and where we have need, Lord. We, we ask for your provision and we receive it, Lord God. And we look with eyes wide open, Lord, to see all the many, many signs of your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.